0: You know, I i don't think I'm different than anyone else. We we all need to be reminded of who our God is and, and who He is in relation to us. As, as we were singing those songs, I, I couldn't help but think that we've got some folks in our church family right now that's just going through some really, really hard times. And even people that, that we know even outside of our church family that just really struggling right now. And... One of the things that Jesus did is he would model the the idea of helping us to focus upward towards God. He, he would always be lifting his head. And, and the disciples were, were getting that, that he was trying to draw their focus upward rather than hanging their head in and, and despair and discouragement. And it just reminded me, you know, when we exalt God and when we realize who he is and where he's at, and, and we acknowledge him for who he is, we, we begin to put our focus where it really needs to be, and it, it does lift us. Even though our circumstances might change, we, we know where God is, and we ultimately know he's in control, and he does love us, and no matter what we're going through, that never changes, and he's got some kind of purpose or plan for our lives no matter what. And we even see that tonight in this passage. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, because we didn't get finished. But you remember from last week, Daniel, this book of Daniel and this, this man, this young man Daniel, really teaches us how to handle the pressure of life. And when the pressure began to squeeze Daniel, Daniel had enough built up within him through his own walk with the Lord that he was able to push against that pressure, which is really the way I think God wants us to to live. And so Daniel felt that one of the requests of King Nebuchadnezzar was going to compromise his walk with his God and therefore he pushed back on that. He did it graciously, but he pushed back nonetheless and he let his own convictions confront his culture. And because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. And so we read in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 1, Now as for these four young men, God endowed them with knowledge and skill and all sorts of literature and wisdom, and Daniel had insight into all kinds of visions and dreams. A couple things. First of all, the word endowed means to entrust. And it reminds us that whatever abilities, whatever skills, whatever spiritual gifts, whatever blessings and resources that God gives to us, we must always remember that they are a stewardship, that God wants us to be good managers and good stewards of what he gives us. Whatever responsibilities he gives us are entrustments of the Almighty God to us. And God simply wants us, like Daniel, to be faithful in whatever He's given us. And if we are faithful in those things, the Bible promises God will give us more to be responsible for. And so, I was just struck by that entrustment. And and just being reminded of the awesome entrustment that God has given to me. Hundreds of people. I mean... We're not a big church in comparison to a lot, but in comparison to how many people I want to be accountable for, we're big enough. <laughs> because when I, when I think of having to stand before God and give an account of my ministry, you know. Because that's a great trust. It really is. And and he's given us all a stewardship. He's given us all things to manage. And we just need to remind ourselves of that. Notice the Bible says that Daniel grew in, in knowledge and skill by, first of all, in book form, literature, And wisdom, and this word wisdom means he grew through the experiences of his life. In other words, whatever experiences Daniel had, he took from those experiences the thing that God wanted him to take. Um, Not always, but generally speaking, that's one of the ways Daniel grew. And I, I just wanted to point that out because that's true for us as well. that that whatever experiences, good and bad, that we go through, and we're going to go through seasons of prosperity, and we're going to go through seasons of adversity, because the book of Ecclesiastes says that's how God balances all of our lives. Our whole life isn't going to be prosperity. Our whole life isn't going to be adversity. But we learn in all of those seasons of prosperity and adversity, hopefully we grow from them and we learn from them. And that's exactly what Daniel was doing. And then I don't want you to miss this last phrase in verse 17 God gave Daniel insight into all kinds of visions and dreams because that's going to come into play here in chapter 2 tonight. So, keep that in mind. Verse 18, When the time appointed by the king arrived, the overseer of the court officials brought them into Nebuchadnezzar's presence. And when the king spoke with them, he did not find among the entire group anyone like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and insight, the king asked them about he found them or literally recognized them to be 10 times better than anyone else. Literally the, the phrase 10 times, they were above and beyond anyone else in the kingdom. They exceeded, they excelled everyone else. And who recognized this? A pagan king. He wasn't even a follower of Jehovah, but he recognized that there was something different about them. There was something distinct. And, and the encouragement there for us folks is simply, if, if we're following the will of God in our life and the Word of God in our life, and we're, we're living the life of God by His strength and power, and we're doing what He wants us to do in His power, and then not to bring glory to ourselves but to bring glory to Him, people will recognize it. We, we won't have to as my parents used to say, an old phrase, toot our own horn? We won't. Because the Bible even teaches that people who even aren't followers of God will recognize that there's something in us. There's something about us. There's a hope. There's, there's a joy. There's, there's a love. There's a contentment. There's a peace. We could go on and on. And, and, and this is what he recognized in Daniel. And others will recognize it in us as well. They might not always share it. That they see something different about us or that we're making an impact in their life. But that's where we just have to be who God calls us and wants us to be and live by faith knowing that God will use our lives again even from Sunday's message in ways that we won't know totally until we get to heaven and then begin to see the lives that were affected. And notice then he begins to list all these other I call them wise guys instead of wise men. These magicians, these astrologers that were in the entire empire. And those words simply meant people that were seeking knowledge and wisdom and understanding apart from God. In other words, they were seekers, but they left the main thing out of the equation when it comes to seeking. Oh yeah, God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so because Daniel was connected to the God of the universe, obviously he was able to gain insight and understanding and knowledge that those who were seeking apart from God never were able to get. And that's still true today. And then the Bible says, last... Verse of chapter 1, Daniel lived on until the first year of Cyrus the king. And the reason that is significant and why God places that in there is he's reminding us that Daniel was there from the beginning to the end of the exile. The majority of Daniel's life was lived in exile in Babylon. and He outlived several of the kings of Babylon. He was there at the very beginning as a young man and he was there when they began to go back to their homeland. And the thing that struck me about that is that you never see in Daniel some kind of like complaint or or living with regret that somehow, you mean God, that, that my life was really sort of defined by being an exile in, in a foreign country? And that's where you had me spend the majority of my life? Well, that just wasn't fair. Uh, you, you, you know... Somehow, Daniel never felt like he got the short end of the straw. Daniel did what God asked him to do. He said, I want you to be the best Daniel I created you to be in Babylon, and I will use you. And and we all look at Daniel now, and Daniel's like one of those heroes of faith. But remember, he spent the majority of his life in exile In a foreign country. And yet he did not allow his circumstances to define him. He rose above them with God's help and with God's strength and God's power. And became this man that now we all look up to and and admire and look to as an example. And so again it reminds us the the place that God places us and the circumstances that, that God surrounds us with. They don't have to be what what defines our life. If we're just the best that we can be in those circumstances, we're going to make a difference, and we're going to make a mark just like Daniel did. And one of the other things I'm going to throw out here, and you can see this throughout, I really believe that the reason that the wise men came from this part of the world several hundred years later to the birth of Jesus Christ was because of the influence of Daniel on those wise men hundreds of years before. I think he laid a foundation for them and made such an impact on those that group that that they then started to look for this Messiah that was to come from the prophecies and the wisdom and the insight that God gave to Daniel. And so we even see through that how the, the legacy of our faith and how the impact of our lives can outlast us many, many generations later if we're faithful to God. Chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had many dreams. His mind was disturbed and he suffered from insomnia. Now, I don't know about, you know, I'm not a dream analyzer. I don't know how many of you have trouble sleeping at night because you're always dreaming. I do know that, you know, All human beings dream, nothing unusual or unnatural about dreaming, and most of the time our dreams uh, don't have that much significance, and many times those dreams, we just sort of, if we can even remember what they are, they just sort of pass off, and we're allowed to just sort of let them go. But there are times, like Nebuchadnezzar, where there's something that we're thinking about that so disturbs us or troubles us that we really are robbed from our rest. And I'm not saying that that I want us to look primarily for God to speak to us in dreams. God today primarily speaks to us through his word. But there is a principle here, and I've seen it true in my life, that, that many times God is able to speak to Jeff at a level that that he can't get through at any other time whenever it's quiet at night. And I'm lying there in bed, and all I hear outside my window when they're open is the coyotes howling. And, and it's almost like in that stillness, I can hear God more clearly. Clearly. And some some nights, I don't get a lot of sleep. When I was younger, I used to fret about it. And then I realized that if God was truly using that time to speak into my life and share some things with me, he was going to give me the grace and strength to get through the next day and the next day and the next day, whether I got much sleep or not. And, and it's been proven to be true that those times that God is speaking to me and in a sense giving me something that he makes up for it but it's at those times he wants to get through to me and all I'm saying here tonight is not to make too much of this but God knows when to get our attention and God knows when he has our undivided attention and many times the only time during the day that we are still enough and quiet enough before God for him to get through is many times when our head hits the pillow at night now if you 're like me too and my wife you know will will say this that many times when my head hits the pillow five seconds later i 'm asleep you know but there are those nights where it 's like I just can 't get to sleep and that 's when God begins to speak and that 's what was happening here with King Nebuchadnezzar. And so the king issued an order to summon the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, wise men. And he's using all these terms of all these people, these great advisors in Babylon to to build up the fact that there is, and we're going to come to this, but that there was no one who could help the king other than the one who was connected with the only true God. So all these people were summoned in order to explain his dreams to him. So they came and awaited the king's instructions. And the king told them, I've had a dream and I'm anxious to understand the dream. By the way, the word anxious there literally means to beat persistently. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar was saying is a lot of dreams I'm able to just go through and let go. This was a dream that I could not let go of or it got a hold of me and I it it wouldn't let go of me. I, I, I couldn't not stop thinking about this. This is what he was saying. I had to understand what was the meaning of this. So the wise men replied to the king. And now in your Bible, it probably has this phrase like it has in mine. What follows is in Aramaic. And from chapter 2 at this point of Daniel, all the way through chapter 7, this portion of scripture is written not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. In fact, to share something that's a little on the technical side, but for some of you that may interest you, there are only two passages in the Bible that's either not written in Greek or Hebrew. Obviously, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the majority of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But this passage in Daniel, and then there's a smaller passage in the book of Ezra that's written in Aramaic. So technically, the Bible was written in three languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And the only two places it's written in Aramaic is this Spot in Daniel and that spot in Ezra. And the question then, why? Because this portion of scripture in Daniel concerns worldwide events. And and Aramaic was the language, in a sense, of the world. So this was a message that was to go out to the world. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the Hebrews. This was a message to the world. And God was going to use this Gentile world ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, and his Gentile kingdom to get this message out to him and to all succeeding Gentile kingdoms. Because remember, God had worked with Israel, but it was coming to an end at the end of the Old Testament. And then God, through Daniel even, he's going to prophesy, is going to set Israel aside for a time and he's going to now concentrate on the Gentile world. But there's coming a time, Daniel says, where then the Gentile world will be set aside and he will go back for a short time to the nation of Israel because he's not done with Israel yet, which is why throughout our history, God is protecting the nation of Israel and will because God has a plan for that little nation that's surrounded there in the Middle East. And nothing is going to happen to Israel simply because God said nothing's going to happen to Israel. So, no matter what you hear in the, in the papers or on the news about, you know, what, no, Israel's going to be okay because God's going to protect Israel because God's got a plan for Israel just like He's got a plan for all the other nations. And we see this unfolding right before our eyes with Egypt and Libya and all these other nations going through the growing and groaning pains. If you will. So they say, O oh, king, live forever. Yeah, boy, there. We won't, we won't say what they are. Tell your servants the dream and we will disclose the interpretation. The king replied to the wise men, My decision is firm. If you do not inform me of both the dream and its interpretation, you will be dismembered and your homes reduced to rubble. There you go. There's a nice guy. You know? And of course, they say, Or he goes, if you can disclose or make known the dream and its interpretation, explain its meaning, you will receive from me gifts, a reward, considerable honor, so disclose to me the dream and its interpretation. They again replied, let the king inform us of the dream, then we will disclose its interpretation. The king replied, I know for sure that you are attempting to gain time. You're stalling. Because you see that my decision is firm, and if you don't inform me of the dream, there is only one thing that is going to happen to you. For you have agreed among yourselves, and we don't know how he knew this, but you agreed among yourselves to report to me something false and deceitful until such a time as things might change, or I forgot what I dreamed. So tell me the dream, and I will have confidence that you can disclose its interpretation. Now the wise men replied to the king, There is no man, no human being on earth who is able to disclose the king's secret." For no king, regardless of his position and power, has ever requested such a thing from any magician, astrologer, or wise man. What the king is asking is too difficult. Literally, it's unprecedented and it's unreasonable. Have you ever had somebody over you ask you something, to to do something that was just terribly unreasonable? And how do we respond to that? Well, Daniel's going to give us one way we can respond. Whenever people ask us to do things that are just unprecedented and unreasonable, what do we do? How do we handle those situations? How do we handle that pressure, if you will? And they go on saying, verse 11, no one exists who can disclose it to the king except for the gods, but they don't live among mortals. Very interestingly, notice, obviously, they were a polytheistic society. They believed in many gods, but in their theology, if you will, they did not believe that any god would ever dwell among mortals, first of all, or live among mortals. And yet our God took upon himself human flesh and dwelt among us. That's our God. See, they they looked at gods as being aloof and distant. And our God left the glories of heaven and came right down, took upon himself human flesh, and lived amongst human beings as a human being. And then, the other thing that this means is not only do they not dwell among mortals, they don't even interact with mortals. They have no interaction. And again, our God is so different. Our God interacts with us every day. I mean, as New Testament Christians, our God interacts with us every day through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through other people. He's always interacting with us. He's always trying to speak into our lives and work with us and, and, and help us to move along in our walk with Him. Constantly interacting with us. And so we see the contrast between this, this concept of their gods and just how. Sad. How hopeless. People who believe in those type of gods, they have no hope. They, and yet our God is so relational and so, so compassionate and, and so willing to come down to our level. And we should never forget that. It's a great blessing. Verse 12, because of this, the king got furiously angry. Literally, it meant he was filled with rage. And we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel... One of Nebuchadnezzar's problems was he could not control his temper. And it always got him in trouble. Read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has many verses about uncontrolled anger or temper. Uh, one of the verses that comes to mind is someone who cannot control their temper, temper is like a city without walls. Uh, another verse is, though, that one who can control their emotions is better than one who can take a city. So the Bible places high value on us, allowing the Holy Spirit to always keep our emotions in check. Again, God doesn't expect us to be unemotional. He expects us, though, to always have our emotions under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Nebuchadnezzar obviously didn't have the Holy Spirit controlling him at all, and he would allow his anger to go off. And the Bible says he gave orders to destroy, to exterminate, literally to make vanish all the wise men of Babylon. So a decree went out and the wise men were about to be executed. I love this. They also sought Daniel and his friends so they could be executed. Because like, if we're going down, you're going down with us. We're not dying by ourselves. And then the Bible says, verse 14, Daniel spoke with prudent counsel to Arioch. Now this phrase, prudent counsel, literally means this. His comeback to Ariok left a good taste in Ariok's mouth. That's literally what it means in the Aramaic language. And I was challenged by that, because I believe that's the way God wants us to be. That that whatever we're faced with, no matter how unreasonable it is, that the response that we give back can leave some kind of good taste in the mouth of the person we're interacting with no matter what. And it's also interesting that the name Arioch means lion-like. So before Daniel ever actually was thrown into the den of lions later on in his life, here in a sense he met his first lion, the chief of the executioners of Babylon, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel was already taming a lion. He was doing it through his speech and the way he responded. And the Bible teaches us a soft answer will turn away wrath. Again, book of Proverbs. And so our speech can tame lions if we learn how to do it with God's help and God's grace. And that was certainly true of Daniel. So notice verse 15. He inquired of Arioch, the king's deputy, why is a decree from the king so urgent, literally harsh or extreme, Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter, so Daniel went in and requested the king to grant him time. Now remember, these other guys wanted time, but Nebuchadnezzar saw through their scheme that they really weren't sincere, that they just wanted to stall. And to me, it just shows the character of Daniel that somehow, through Daniel's interaction with Nebuchadnezzar already, he saw something different in Daniel, and we saw that back in chapter 1. There was something different about this guy. So I'm going to let you have some time. I didn't let them have some time. I'm going to let you have some time. It reminds us that many times the way we act, our character, our integrity, can lay a foundation. Sometimes it will pay off down the road. It might not pay off now, but it pays off down the road. And that's exactly what we see here with Daniel. And so Daniel sets a reasonable set time to find out what the meaning is and get back to the king. And then notice what Daniel did. Instead of Daniel panicking, which I would have done, either I come up with the interpretation and meaning of this dream, or we all get our heads chopped off. Daniel did what all of us should do in situations like this. where we, What can we do when there's nothing we can do, in a sense? And there's always one thing that you and I can do in each and every situation. Even if we don't think there's anything we can do. We can go to the God of heaven in prayer. And that's exactly what Daniel did. He went back, notice, to his home. And informed his friends. Literally communicated, let others know about what was going on. Which again is a great example to us that many times we're going through something and and we don't want to tell anybody because I, I don't want them to, you know, think any, you know. The Bible encourages us when we're going through something, let other people know, communicate with them so that they can, so we can pray together. And that's exactly what Daniel did. He said, guys, we need to have a prayer meeting. And he got these guys together and they began to pray to God that God would have compassion on them and give Daniel insight into the king's dream. Now, an interesting thing, too, and I I didn't realize this until I, you know, got into studying this again and preparing for this. This is the very first time in the Bible, and this surprised me, because Daniel's pretty far into the Bible. This is the first instance in the Bible of people coming together and praying for something. I was shocked. This is sort of the first prayer meeting, if you will, in the Bible, and it doesn't come until Daniel chapter 2, where someone says, hey, can we pray about this? Now, you see people praying up to this point, but it's always individuals praying. Here, you have this guy saying, guys, we need to pray. And what I love about this, and the challenge to me in my own life, and hopefully the challenge to all of us at the Oasis is, and I know some of you already do this, so please, I'm commending those of you that already do this, but I just want to challenge all of us to Wouldn't it be great to create a culture within our church family that when things come up in our lives, our first step is to gather some people around us and say, hey, let's get together and let's have a prayer meeting tonight over at our house. And let's pray about this. I mean, a church that would just, that would be like the default mechanism of response to situations in all of our lives. That would be awesome. I'm telling you, that would be revolutionary. Revolutionary. Because even for Christians, you know, we'll do everything else but, but get a few of our friends together and get into a home or meet somewhere and start praying to God about it. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And the other thing that really impacted me out of this is remember, I said back in chapter one to remember that phrase that Daniel gave, uh, or God gave Daniel the ability to have insight into visions and dreams. And yet, he was still praying for God to help him. And what blew me away about that is because God was reminding me that just because I give you a gift or an ability doesn't mean you start using that gift and ability without coming to me and asking for my assistance and help throughout your life while using it. And... and. And that really hit me because I know in my own life and I've seen it in other Christians' lives where God has given us a gift or an ability to do something and because he's given us that gift and ability, we just go off and start using it without coming back to God and saying, God, I know you've given me this gift or ability to do this, but I never want you to think every time I use this that I can do this on my own. I need you. I want you Please help me. And that's exactly, I think, also what Daniel did when he went to God in prayer. Yes, God had already given him this ability to do this, but Daniel wanted to go to God and say, God, I need your help. I need you. And what a great example that is for us. And so he let his friends know and they began to pray, verse 18, for mercy or compassion. From the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And all the word mystery means is something that's hidden. Something that's under the surface. Again, think of the iceberg. God is the only one that can see below the surface of the water. We can only see what's above it. So that he and his friends would not be destroyed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And notice, Daniel was doing this not to just save his own hide, but to save the hide, if you will, or the lives of these other pagans. Why would Daniel care about them? Because Daniel is like God. God loves the world. And, and Daniel, I think, figured, I don't want to see them die either because I want them to have more time to come to know my God. And maybe even through this, maybe even through God's revelation of this dream to me, maybe some of those wise men will come to know the one true God. And again, I believe that somewhere along the line that happened, that Daniel had great influence into the wise men of Babylon. So the Bible says that in a night vision, verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. At night, Daniel had clear vision. He could see. is literally what the word vision means. To see. With God's help, God enables us, like Daniel, to see things that others can't see. Call it insight. Call it spiritual discernment. Call whatever you want. And this insight and spiritual discernment into life is something that God can train us in. Even though... Even though God can give us gifts and abilities or whatever, it, it's also something just like any ability, say, that we have. To do something, it can be honed. It can be, it can be perfected, if you will, if we practice. And the same thing is true with discernment and insight. The Bible talks about that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. And so Daniel, first thing he does after God reveals the dream, is not run to Nebuchadnezzar and say, I got the, I got it! Don't kill us! No, the first thing he does is he stops and he kneels and blesses the God of heaven. Wow, that struck me too. How many times do I pray about something or God blesses me or or does something in my life and I just keep on going without stopping at that moment? Or then I might even... (coughs) Excuse me... (coughs) I might have all good intentions He said, I'll get back, God, and and I'll thank you for it later. And a lot of times that never comes. I love what Daniel does. He says, you know what? I'm stopping right now. I'm stopping right now. I'm going to make sure that I acknowledge God first, and then we'll go take care of this matter. And so literally he praises the God, and the word praise there means to kneel and bless. And he says, let the name of God be praised forever. The name just means the sum of all that God is. For wisdom and power belong to him. Notice, this is a great balance. Wisdom is the skill of living life. Power is the strength for living life. So it's all covered there with God. God gives us the skill to be able to live life at the highest level and the strength to do it. And they all come from God. Notice also verse 21, and this is certainly, we're seeing this play out even today. He changes times and seasons. Literally, he initiates change. If you don't like change, you and God aren't going to get along very well. Because can I just tell you, God is a God of change. In fact, for any growing Christian, we're going to constantly be changing. For a church that's growing, we're going to be changing. So that's why even as a church... We can't get to the point where we're so rigid and so inflexible with things because we may have to go through seasons where this is what God wants us to focus on, but we don't want to be like those churches that say, well, this is the what we've always done and the way we've always done it. Because if we're all growing and we're growing individually and we're growing corporately, that means that we're going to be changing too. And that means we're going to be growing to where maybe God says, now I want you to be involved in this. So God will initiate change in our life, whether we like it or not. And here, at this context, it's all about, though, deposing some kings and establishing others. And that's exactly what we see happening today because the Bible teaches us even in the book of Daniel and other places, there is no king and authority in this world that's not there by God's enablement and no king reigns without him and kings come and go. And it's all part of the plan of God that we can't see the whole thing. He gives wisdom to the wise. He imparts knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. He's totally aware of what's in the darkness. And light resides with him. O God of my fathers, Daniel says, I acknowledge. Literally, I praise and give thanks and glorify you. I lift you up and adore you. For you have bestowed wisdom and power on me. Now you have enabled me to understand what I requested from you. For you have enabled me to understand the king's dilemma. I'm going to stop there tonight, but I want you to turn to one other passage quickly because I see time is getting away from me. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the reason I want you to turn there is because Daniel's talking about how God reveals to us deep and hidden things. And many times in the New Testament age, again, we're like, man, I, I wish I was like Daniel. I wish I could understand and, and have that insight and that discernment and understand deep and hidden things. And the Bible teaches us that you know how we do that today? Through growing in our understanding of the word of God. That's how God does it. He takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God enables us to understand even the deep things of God through His Word. I'm just going to begin reading this and then I'll close in prayer. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery. Similar language to Daniel tonight, huh? That God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are things God has prepared for those who love him. And many misinterpret this verse in 1 Corinthians as speaking about heaven. This has nothing to do with heaven. It has to do with the Spirit of God revealing the Word of God. And here's verse 10. God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even, notice, the deep things of God. Or who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him? So too no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. And we speak about these things, not with words taught us by human wisdom, but with those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The unbeliever does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's hard for us as Christians sometimes to understand the Word of God. That's why we need to continue to grow. And that's why God calls teachers to help us to explain those things. But unlike the unsaved person, they have no chance to understand the Bible. They could read the Bible all their life. Until they get the Spirit of God within them... They're going to put this Bible down in frustration all the time because it is the Spirit of God that helps us. He is ultimately all of our teacher. And He's the one that helps us to understand what God wants us to understand from His Word. So the first step for them is get them saved. Get the Holy Spirit into their life. Then get them into a church and start teaching the Bible and they'll begin to understand the things of God. Verse 15. The one who is spiritual, notice, discerns, or has insight into all things, yet he himself is understood by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to advise him? I love this statement. And many Christians don't realize this. This is talking about you folks tonight. When it says we have the body of Christ, Christians, followers of Christ, we have the mind of Christ. In other words, we can have the mind of Christ on something. How do we get the mind? How do I know what God's thinking about certain things? It's all here. This is is what he thinks. And the Spirit of God helps us to understand what God thinks so that we can have his mind on these things. That's, again, why it's so important that you and I are growing And in a church that teaches the Bible, nothing more, nothing less, and that we're learning to understand and read the Bible and study it on our own so that we can know the things that God would have us to know so that we can have the mind of Christ. We can have the same ability that Daniel did. And we don't need to have the dreams and visions. We have God's completed word, Genesis to Revelation. We can know what God thinks about any subject that God cares about, it's all right here for us. And I'm excited to keep getting into this over the years with you so that we can find out all that God says on all these different things in the Word of God. Thanks for hanging in there with me tonight. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for the insight that it gives us. And God, I just pray tonight that when we're faced with the pressures of life and with unprecedented circumstances in our life and maybe unreasonable demands upon us by others, that God, that you would help us to respond in the way that Daniel and his friends responded. That God, we would be willing to call upon our friends and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and say, can we have a prayer meeting? Can we get together and can we pray about this? And can we take this to the God of the universe that nothing is too hard or difficult for? And can we seek His compassion and His understanding and His insight and and His strength in all of this? Because God, we have seen tonight just how You work through people who are willing to humble themselves, seek Your face, and pray. So God, go with us this week. Whatever we face, help us to be people that, first of all, The first step we make is to seek you in prayer. We pray in Jesus' name.